0: Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Is there anybody in this room that doesn't like to be in control? You don't have to show your hands. Or... Or, or anybody that doesn't like not being out of control. Um, all of it, I mean, that's a natural human tendency. We like to control. We like to know. We like to be in the know. We like to, uh, to, to, to be able to anticipate um, what's happening, what's going to happen, those kinds of things. And so when, when, we're, when we yield that, when we let go of that, it's a hard place really for most of us, whether we're believers or not, um, and that comes down to the desire of our will to know and, and to, to, to be, as I say, in control at some level. That started in the garden. You've heard me say before that the most dangerous thing the Lord did was give Adam and Eve a will of their own. And from the very get-go, they, they misused it. Uh, they, they corrupted uh, a perfect scene and a perfect creation with what they wanted to do, with their desire to know, to eat of the tree of knowledge. And every generation since then has struggled with that same will, that same desire to let go or to know or to to be known. Now, as we're concluding today, this look at spiritual gifts, I want to kind of help set the table with this passage in 1st Chronicles chapter 28. uh, Because I think it best explains the the premise of the things we're going to look at today in Scripture. Um, And this is this is. God talking to Solomon. And you, my son Solomon, verse 9, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and, watch this, with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Serve him with a willing mind. Um, our will gets in the way nine times out of ten of our being all God wants us to be, all he's designed for us, all he's created for us to be. Our will is the thing that stands between that. Now, does the enemy have some some free reign on that to play on our will and our emotions and what we want? Absolutely he does. And those are the things we're going to look at today. Turn to Romans chapter 7, first of all. And this first element that I think we're going to, first point that I want us to see is that our will... should be to defeat our nature. Our will to defeat our nature has to trump his will for us, the enemy's will for us. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 to 20. Let's look at what he says there. This is Paul speaking. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. We have, we are bent in it with a nature to sin. We're born in, into into a sinful nature and into a sinful world. And uh, even though we belong to Christ, that, that nature that bent to sin is there. Why? Because our bodies are fleshly. They're carnal. They're human. They're born into into a sinful state, as I say. And we are in a sinful place. Uh, this world is not our home. Once we accept Christ, we're designed and, and destined for someplace else. So consequently, if we're looking for fulfillment here, we're not going to find it here. This is a sinful place. This is the This belongs to the... Uh, Ephesians uh, two talks about our enemy, the devil, being the prince of the power of the air. This is his domain. This is this is the domain given him when he was cast out of heaven. We looked at that uh, in week one when Lucifer, the angel, was cast out of heaven, and and this domain was given to him. Um, but I think it's important for us to realize, and, and we don't get this most times as believers. Heaven is heaven, and nothing else is. And I don't know how to put it more simply than that. Heaven is heaven. And nothing else is. And the more we seek to make this place like that place, the more frustrated we're going to become because it's not like that place. It wasn't designed to be like it. Well, it was designed to be like that place initially. But as I said a moment ago, Adam and Eve corrupted that with their taking their own will under control and, and yielding to what the serpent said. So our desire for holiness, for perfection, for goodness is unachievable here. So should we quit and roll over and play dead? No, absolutely not. But we need to understand this place is not going to be conducive to our living a holy life. Now, if we don't get that, we're going to live a live a life as a believer very, very frustrated to think, "Man, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm getting there. I'm just trying so hard, I'm not." And you're you're never going to get there here. If you're looking for that that sense of ultimate accomplishment, ultimate perfection, ultimate uh, blessing, uh, if you're if you're looking for heaven, you're not going to find it here. Now. That's a significant thing in the life of most believers because we live, most believers live frustrated existences to say, why am I not becoming all God wants me to be, all he's designed for me to be? And in part, I think it's because we think here is where it's supposed to fit and work and and, and everything falls into place and it doesn't. This is his domain, not ours. Now, there'll be times where we experience more blessing than others here, certainly. Uh, Hopefully here, as we gather together as a body, we're blessed by him, blessed by each other. But we leave here and go into a culture that, that he is controlling to seek and devour us, to come after us, he says. Um, we're no, never going to be comfortable following him here. Now, one thing I want you to notice here in verse 20 of this passage of, in Romans chapter 7 is Paul's taking, he, he, I think he makes a doctrinal position here, but he, makes a, he, he uses it in the form of a self-testimony to say, if I'm going on sinning, then it's not me really that's, that's committing the sin. It's the sin in me. And so what he, I, he said, because you, you heard the story, I don't do the very things I want to do. It's the things I don't want to do. Those are the things I end up doing. So he admits in verse 20 that it says, if I, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin in me. Now, Jesus was able to do that perfectly, to separate the sin from the sinner. The more you and I can do that effectively, the easier we'll see our brothers and sisters' failures as just like our own. And the easier we'll see our failures as not the end of the world. Because our sin, as, he says, as Paul says here, is going to follow us as long as we're here. Now, can we have victory over it? We can, and we, and we should, and we'll see that more in just a moment, uh, unfold a little bit. But he, Paul uniquely separates the desire to sin and the nature to sin from his new birth. And he said, So here I am. I'm this, I'm this spiritually reborn person who goes on sinning. What's the problem with that? The problem is, I was born into sin, and the desire to sin is going to continue to stay in me until I'm glorified. Until my body is made new, until my mind is made new, until my heart is made new, until I realize who I was designed to be, and I'm standing in front of Him, the one, the designer. If I'm here, I'm going to battle with these two, these two this carnal struggle and this spiritual struggle. That's going to be a continuing struggle. Now, I can gain more victory than defeat. If I follow some of, the, some of the things that we've looked at, especially our, our advocate in our, our arsenal that, that we looked at last week, but we can have more victory than defeat. However, if we understand that, that our will centers in how we see things and how we see ourselves, see our own sin, our own lack of perfection, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I think, have a great effect on our lives. Secondly, not only our will to defeat our nature, but our will to change our attitude. Turn to Second Corinthians, if you will. I don't want us to look at a couple of verses here. that deal with this very thing. Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians and verses 3 through 5 say this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to, watch this, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Well, secondly, our will to change our attitude, our will to change our attitude. How do we do that? We do that. in what he says in verse five, by taking every thought captive. In essence, there's a governor around the way we think we place self-imposed limits on how we think. How do we do that? We place self-imposed limits on the filter by which we filter things in the world, be it music, uh, culture, media, conversation, social media, friendships, relationships. We place a self-imposed filter on the things that we allow in. Consequently, it's easier, e- easier to place a self-imposed governor on the things that we allow out of our lives. Now, um, knowing that every sin and every failure begins in your mind, every, every, every person in this room, every person ever born, every sin, every failure, every loss, every disappointment begins in the mind. If we know that to be true, and it is, And he's saying, that's what what he's saying here. We we don't fight with with typical weapons. Our weapons aren't typical. Our weapons are mental. Our weapons are emotional. Our our weapons are are spiritual. Those are the weapons we fight with. We looked at that last week a little more. If we know that the battle begins in our mind, though, and we can take these thoughts captive before they ever find their way out, before they ever are lived out and are flushed out in a way that doesn't bring glory to God and brings disdain to the name of Jesus and to to our own witness, then why would we not do that? Why would we not intercept this process that's going, the process of, of temptation, process of sin, process of, of, of not being what God's designed for us to be? Why would we short-circuit the process of saying, I need to filter the things that are coming in so that the things are going out, has a governor on them, has some fences around them? And I don't just, every thought I have, it doesn't come out of my mouth. You've been around those kinds of folks. Uh, whether it comes out of their mouth or whether it comes out of their fingers into a keyboard, th- Every thought shouldn't, that we have shouldn't be, shouldn't be out there for the world to see if it doesn't bring glory to him. And so it's harder to do that. It's harder to place a governor on, our, on what comes out of our mouth or out of our mind if there's no filter on what's coming in. So these two things work together. We can't take every thought captive if every thought's coming in. So what are the things coming in? It's easier to take captive the things that are coming in when they're filtered already. Does that make sense? So as they're filtered, they're coming in, we can say, all right, this is worthy of, of my thoughts. This is worthy of my time, my energies. This isn't. Let that go. It's easier to see how the enemy works. We can see him coming, in essence. Um, when, we, when we learn the battle is in our mind, we can see the enemy coming, how he works, and decide whether we've got the stamina to stay and fight or whether it's time to flee and get out of that environment, get out of that circumstance, get out of that situation. It's hard to see, though, until we intercept those things in our mind. When we learn to intercept the power of the mind, it's, it's a powerful thing. In fact, studies and research is being done all over the world. I read of a study this past week in Germany <laughs> that started in the 60s and still going today of the power of the mind to handle or not pain. And how so, there, it's, some of this is through hypnosis, some of this is through other mind manipulations, but pain centers and starts in our mind physical and, and spiritual and emotional all pain starts in our mind and it's manifested in other ways throughout our body and throughout our life but all pain starts in our mind and if we can in essence their study has shown if we can control how our mind views pain we can control how we deal with pain uh, both as I say physically and emotionally and otherwise it, the, the mind is a powerful thing and I don't we don't have time today to get into all of that I'm not going to get into all the how all the synapses fire and all the neurons fire in our brain to tell us good and bad However, it's a powerful thing and it is, it is for the most part in the life of a believer kept untapped. The power of the mind to filter the things that come in, as I say, and the power of the mind to govern the things that go out are within our control. We don't think they are. We think, man, I, just, I wish I could control this. We can. We can control what we think if we control what comes in and we can control what we say if we can control what comes out. This filter, this governor, they work together to change our attitude. Thirdly, Our will not only to defeat our nature and to change our attitude, but our will will to redefine who we are. Uh, Look at Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you will. And this, I think, more clearly says these these kinds of things than anything else. Verse 22 is where we're going to pick up in Ephesians 4 and look through verse 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What's the difference as we redefine who we are? We redefine who we are by putting on, choosing daily to put on this new self just like we choose daily or not to put on the full armor of God that we looked at last week in this in our arsenal of weapons. That's a choice we make every day. The same choice we make every day is to choose to put on this new self, this new attitude, this new way of thinking. Uh, and that's the difference between, between deceit here, as he talks about in verse 23 or, or verse 22, with regard to your formal life being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You remember our look at John 8 to say, the deceit is the language of the enemy. It's, it's his native. Deceit is his, is his native tongue. He's a master liar. And so the difference between deceit on the one hand and holiness and righteousness, as he talks about this verse, on the other hand, is how we see ourselves. Whether we are deceived to see ourselves as the enemy wants, to, wants us to see us or whether we're see, seeing ourselves as God has designed for us to be and he, as he wants us to see us. In between those two things is, is this new self and old self. How do we see ourselves? If we if he's constantly, if the enemy's constantly regurgitating our old self and our old nature, and we're allowing him to do it daily by yielding our mind over to him, if he's constantly regurgitating our old self, saying, This is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you'll always be, you'll never be anything or anything any, any better than this. And this new self is over here, and we've already been redeemed, and we're this new self is over here thinking. Is, is this not who I am? I, th- I thought I was redeemed for all that. Well, you were redeemed for all of that. It's how we think about ourselves. If we're allowing the enemy to convince us, the old guy's still there. You'll never get rid of him. Just, you might as well hang on. He's never going away. Yes, he, he can go away. If we put on this new self daily and say, that's not who I am anymore. That's who I used to be. Those are the things I used to do. That's the way I used to think. Those are the relationships I used to have. That's what I used to do with money. That's what I used to do with time. That's, what I used to... that's not who I am anymore. I've been redefined. He's redefined who I am. And I I don't live that way. I don't think that way anymore. This new self I've got to put on daily and remind myself I'm a new creation. I've been recreated from the inside out, from the heart and mind out. And that recreation is something that I have to put on, as I say, daily because the enemy attacks daily. And I put on my armor. I put on my new self. and Listen, I'm I'm not allowing anybody else, especially the enemy, to define who I am anymore. That's a choice I make. It's not something that's controlled that he controls me. He he, he doesn't do anything I don't allow him to do. And I'm choosing today to see myself as God defined me, not as he defines me or not as I used to be before I was redeemed. Huge thing there. Um, Our circumstances, verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, our circumstances should not control us. If we allow them to, we're allowing this old nature, this old self to regurgitate itself all over and over and over again because we walk into circumstances sometimes that are beyond our control, don't we? And we can either choose to allow that circumstance to change us or we can change our circumstance. Now, that may sound like new age gobbledygook to you, but Jesus understands and, and Paul understands in his letter here to the Ephesians the power of your th- of the way you think about yourself, the power of your mind and the power of your perception of yourself. Now, it's... Uh, Um, perception is a, is a huge thing because it's, and we'll see that a little more in just a minute, but it, it, it controls how we think about ourselves, how we perceive ourselves to be is oftentimes how we live. If we perceive the old nature, guess what? That's where we're going to walk. If we perceive the new nature, guess what? That's where where we're going to walk. The power of perception is a powerful thing. And so this new self should, should, uh, should define us. Um, and it's a daily death. It's a daily death and a choice. You're, you're, you are not under the enemy's control if you belong to Jesus. You cannot be under the enemy's control. You can be under his influence. But it's a choice you make every day. He cannot control your mind any more than you want him to. He can, cannot control your behavior any more than you want him to. It's a choice you and I make every day to listen, to allow the filter down and say, come on in, bring it all in. Or to put the filter up say, no, that's not who I am. Here's who he says I am. And that's how I'm choosing to live today. Fourthly, not only our will to defeat our nature, change our attitude, and redefine who we are, but our will to push back against our enemy. And I love this verse. Turn to James chapter 4, uh, or these two verses, and look at verse, with me at verses 7 and 8 of James chapter 4. Submit yourselves, he says in verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and here's a great promise, and he'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. This desire to push back against our enemy, to resist, as he's saying here in verse 7, is something that comes from who we are, from inside who we are. Um, And he's saying here, these these are marching orders. He says, resist, don't give in. You have the power not to give in. You think you're under his control, you're not. The power in you, you have the power in you not to give in to him, to push back against him, to say no to him. Now, what's the key in this passage, though, to resisting. Is it strength? Is it self-confidence? Is it independence? Is it how slick or how stealth we are? No. Look at what he says here. Um, Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil. How do we do that? Come near to God and he'll come near to you. This idea of, 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 of resisting the devil has everything to do with submission to God. It doesn't have to do with strength. It doesn't have to do, with, as I say, with independence, with how cool we are, how slick our methods are. It's got everything to do with dying to the Father. He says, you come near to me, I'll come near to you. How do you resist him? You keep getting closer to me. The closer you get to, him, to me, the easier it is for you to resist him. So your, your, your strength in resisting him is your willingness to die to yourself and come to me. Come near to me, I'll come near to you. You, you move close, in essence, in verse 8, I'll move closer. That's what he's saying. The closer you get to me, the closer I come to you. The closer we are together, the easier it is to resist the enemy and his ways and his and his is the ways he tantalizes our mind and our heart in directions we don't need to go spiritually. And he's saying as well. I think it's important to, to, to glean out of this passage that double mindedness. And, and, and in fact, he he warns us: uh, "Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. You double minded. How, how are how are our minds not?" double-minded thinking and thinking worldly and thinking spiritually at the same time. He says the key to that is purifying our heart. And so, <clears throat> in essence, this, this idea of, 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 of being double-minded, and he mentions that James talks about a double-minded man being unstable in all of his ways, and that's true. We can't walk in this world and be comfortable in this world, yet at the same time realizing we're created for another world and we're not living in that world yet. So what do we do? How do we make the most of this, this situation we're in and yet at the same time be above it and beyond it. That's what—that's this idea of being double-minded. If I'm seeking the world's approval and I'm seeking God's approval at the same time, those two things are totally impossible to reach. Those are two goals unreachable. To seek the world's approval and God's approval at the same time is totally impossible. However, to seek his approval in a sinful place is. That's what he's talking about here in being double-minded. Um, and it, honestly, being double-minded has everything to do with this yo-yo approach That many believers take to winning and losing spiritual battles. It has everything to do with it because we we wonder why can't, just like we saw uh, uh, in Paul's inner struggle, which is some of our inner struggle too, the very thing I don't want to do is the thing I end up doing. And I don't do the thing I want to do. What's that struggle about? It's about my being double minded, it's about my not having a filter in place. And I'm saying, okay, whatever, let me bring it all in and I'll sift it all after it gets in. No, 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 no. I've got to filter those things and put up some guards against those things that will cause what comes out to be wrong, what comes out to be ungodly, what comes out not to be good for me or good for my witness to anyone else. Being double-minded is the key to that. Whipping that double-minded man and being single-minded in who we are in this new self that he's created us to live in and be in is the key to that. Now, is that easy to do? (laughs) No, it's not. Um, None of this is easy to do. I'm not giving you easy points today to do. But with our advocate... And with our arsenal, if you'll look at this whole teaching of spiritual warfare and put, it all, put all the pieces together, with our advocate and with our arsenal, it's very possible daily, though. It's not a prayer, we, we say. We walk down an altar, we pray a prayer, and our life is totally glorious from that, that point on. No, it's not because the enemy attacks the, the very next day or two days later or five days later, and something goes wrong. The water heater breaks. We have car trouble. We have a job situation, or we have a job loss. Or we have. How do we deal with all of that? It's not easy to live in this world and not be of this world, is it? It's a daily thing. It's a daily choice we make. It's not a. It's not a, a situation where we're, we're totally insulated because we decided we want to live for Jesus. Well, guess what? This is the, this is Satan's domain, and he's going to attack us in it. He's not going to leave us alone until we're someplace else. Um, even so, come quickly, right? Now, finally, <clears throat> um, our will. And this, this final point, it's probably obvious, it should be obvious, but our will to win. And this is best defined in uh, in Revelation chapter 12. If you'll turn there, these are great verses to highlight or underline, t- to go back to and, and help you realize, gee, he's given me a lot of armor here in, in his word, seeing seeing last week uh, that, that, that the word is the attack element. The word is the, the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God is the only attack element. A weapon that I have and, and the more I know of it the more I've dwelled on it, the more I've underlined it the more I've highlighted, it, the more I've memorized it the more it's in front of me on my mirror, the more it's in my car the more it's what I listen to the more I have of it, the more effective I am at defeating him because I can, I can attack him with it and these are some great verses to attack him with our will to win is described <clears throat> here in Revelation, or, or I think can be gleaned from these verses in Revelation chapter 10 or chapter 12, sorry, verses 10 through 12 I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, that's Satan, our enemy, the devil, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word, watch this, of their testimony. They triumphed over him, how? By the word of the Lamb. Uh, uh, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Now, how do we know that we won by knowing that he's ultimately lost and knowing that he knows that he's ultimately lost. Um, The more we remind him of that and ourselves of that, I think the weaker he becomes to us and the stronger we are in his, in in defense of him. As I said earlier, perception is a powerful thing. And if we can perceive perceive ourselves as winners, it'll be much easier to win those daily battles against him. Um, You've heard the, and seen the stories of the new gray uniforms that have come out for UT this year and all the hubbub, you know, people are calling into the sports shows. Oh, I hate the gray uniforms. It's orange and white or some, some another color. I love the gray uniforms. It's something new, something fresh. Here's the thing. <clears throat> why do, why do sports teams get u- new uniforms on a regular basis? And not only new uniforms, but hipper, cooler uniforms that are, have a little more flash to them, a little more, you know, why coaches do that and athletic organizations do that and schools do that. It's to make those guys on that team, feel like a winner if you're wearing 1965 silk uh, uniforms to play basketball and you're you know what you're gonna feel like when you walk out on the court you're gonna feel like a loser you know why because you you're gonna notice everybody (laughs) with you see those uniforms i mean these guys and you're gonna feel before you ever step foot on the court like a loser you 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 retool yourself and reuniform yourself so that you feel like a winner am i right vince you he works with these guys and, and and puts new uniforms on them, and he knows what happens. He's heard what happens in the locker room. They put these new jerseys, these new pants on, and uniform, You know, new new stickers on the side of their helmets, and, all this, and they come out and they got a little swag. You know why? Because they feel like they can win. They feel like the perception is that I look slicker, I can play slicker. I look sharper, I can play sharper. I look faster, I can play faster. The perception tells them that before they ever set foot on the field that I can win because I'm better than I used to be. No, you're not. You just look better than you used to look. But, but the <clears throat> the perception here is this, is that if we realize that we have already ultimately won and he has ultimately lost, <clears throat> I'm sorry, and if we live with that perception on a daily basis that he is the loser and we have already won, it makes our, our, our battle with him daily over and over again far more winnable. Why? Because we don't see him with the power that we used to see him. And we see ourselves with more power than we used to see ourselves with. So perception is, a, is an incredible thing. And you need to understand and know that you and I as believers have already won and he has already lost and he knows he's already lost. He gets it. He reads it. He understands. This is, I, I, got, I got a limited amount of time here to work. When he comes back, this is all over. So I want to glean him and her and I want to get in his mind and her mind as fast as I can with as much veracity as I can so that I can take them down. I know I can't take their soul away, but I can certainly take their witness away, and they can't take anybody else to heaven with them. That's his motive in all of this. When we start to see him as a loser, it'll make our winning more effective and more easier. And here's the thing I, I, I would just encourage you to do in a practical sense. As you as you, you get out of the shower and you're, you're arming up, you're putting your clothes on, you're putting your armor on to go for the day, and you're putting this new self on we we're talking about, <clears throat> what a... What you need to do is you get in your car and you start to see this world that you're driving through that belongs to him. And this is going to sound real bizarre to you, but stay with me. I'm, I, I think bizarre sometimes, most of the time, probably, actually. As you're driving through this world that belongs to him, you're driving down streets and you're, you're, you're pointing to things that he, he could use or has used, you're a liar and you're a loser. And just tell him, straight, I mean, tell him verbally, out, out loud, as if, as if he's standing or sitting in the car, you're a liar and you're a loser today, and I've already won. And you see something else later on in the day. You're a liar and you're a loser. And I've already won. And the more you tell him that, the more it's going to remind you the fact, you know what? He's a liar and he's a loser. And you've already won. The perception that we have in our mind that he, that he places there is you can't win. In fact, the whole time you're here, you better look for heaven because the whole time you're here, you're mine. You belong to me. I've got you under control. You, and the perception we take away is the more, we, the more we hear that and the more we perceive that is, guess what? I can't win as long as I'm here. He's got me. And I can't win until I get to heaven. So I might as well just, I might as well phone it in and just, just walk through this spiritual life as, as best I can and, 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 and take whatever comes. No, that's not desi- how we were designed to live. We were designed to live defeating Him, not allowing Him to win. And we'll never defeat Him if we see ourselves as losers and He is the ultimate winner every time. So our perception has to become what the Word says about Him and the fact that He has already lost and, and knows his, his, his days are numbered. And we have already won and knows our days are limited and and, and, and uh, infinite. If we look at him, and, and as I say, imagine him, or, or maybe maybe you're seeing somebody that he he uses in front of you or seeing a circumstance that he uses. Look at that circumstance and look at that person. Don't say it loud enough where they can hear it, but look at the, that person that he uses in that circumstance. You're a liar and you're a loser, and I've already won. Speak to him physically in that way, and I'm going to tell you, he will flee from you. James 4, James 4 7. Resist him, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. It'll work. I'm, I'm telling you things that, in, <laughs> that will work. Why? Because they're in God's word. And if we put them into place, we don't have to wonder why are we failing all the time? We're failing all the time because we're not putting the things in this word into place in our lives. And we're not claiming the truths of them daily to say, He's the loser, I'm the winner, and that's the way I'm choosing to live today. I've got a choice of how I'm going to live. I'm going to live for Him, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm choosing today to say I'm living for Jesus. Now tomorrow it'd be a different story. I've got to choose tomorrow again. I'm living for Jesus today instead of living for him. And the day after that, I've got a different choice to make too. I'm living for him. Why? Because he attacks us daily to steal our joy, to steal our influence, to steal our witness. He can't steal our soul. He knows he can't because he knows his days are numbered and he knows we belong to the Father. So he incrementally comes in and grabs a situation, a conversation, a circumstance at a time. And at the end of the day, at the end of the week, I've lost, No, I've chosen to lose. I've chosen to lose. There's a difference. I've got choices to make. And when I see myself as having won, and he is the ultimate loser that Revelation 12 describes him to be, um, it totally changes my view of him and of me, both. And I see myself as, I, I see spiritual warfare as something that is not an ultimate lost game for me. Now, will I win every battle? Probably not. I'll lose a few every now and then. Just because I'm carnal, just because Paul said I don't do the very things I want to do all the time, I just don't. I wish I did. I wish I had the strength all the time to do that. Sometimes I don't have the strength to do that. But today, I'm choosing today to live for him. Tomorrow will be another story. If I live to see tomorrow, it will be another story. I've got to make another choice tomorrow. So these things, these things that are, are they come out of our mind. Our will to defeat our nature, our will to change our attitude, our, we, our will to redefine who I am, our will to push back against the enemy, our will to see myself as having won and him having lost, those things come in our mind. Those battles are started and won and lost in our mind. We need to gain control of that and realize that that, that uh, yes, our heart belongs to God, but our mind, I don't know. I, don't know. I just don't know how to get it. Yes, you can. You can control your mind by what goes in it and what goes out. Now, Here's what I want you to leave with and, and actually leave this, this study on spiritual warfare with um, is this. We can win every battle against the enemy. Everyone. Everyone. We can win every battle against the enemy. I want you to hear that and know that's true because it comes out of God's word. We can win every battle against the enemy. Will we likely? Probably not. But the capability is there to win every battle against the enemy. If we realize our advocate. If we realize our arsenal and if we can control our will, our mind, how we think, how we perceive him and us, we can win every battle against the enemy. It's winnable. Now, I know the next conclusion you're going to jump to is, well, are you saying sinlessness is in our grasp? No, I'm not saying sinlessness is, is in our grasp. What I'm saying is the power that sin had over us, we can control. We can say no to the power that sin has or has had over us, we can let go of. It can no longer have the power in our lives that we don't choose or choose for it to have. So as you're making those choices every day, you realize I can win this battle right now. This, the battle of this moment, the battle for my thoughts, the battle for my actions, the battle for a conversation, the battle for retaliation, the battle for whatever it is, I can win as long as I yield to what God says, how I need to walk with him. If I put this new self on, if I if I if I realize how he's wired, who he's wired me to be, what he's wired me to become, I can win this battle. But we don't live a single, we don't win a single battle if we continue to live in denial. The spiritual warfare is real. And I'm gonna tell you, it's real. Some of you in this room have experienced it's real. Most of us in this room have experienced it's real. If not, we're living in denial that it's not. And it is. It's, it's a true fact of life. We are this is his domain he's coming after us in it. He's not going to leave us alone. So in order to resist, we've got to see ourselves as God sees us. We've got to arm ourselves as God arms us. We've got to take advantage of our advocate that God's given us in our hearts. We can win those battles, but not until we see we're in a war. If we're still kind of just lollipopping through life, okay, whatever comes, comes, and whatever happens, happens. No, we're in a war. You and I as believers are in a war. For the battle of our minds. The battle of our souls have already been won. But the battle for our minds is a daily battle against our enemy. And we need to see it and seize it. And, 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 and not only see it and seize it, but share it with others. To, re- to help them realize, hey, you can do this. You can do this. You don't have to yield to control of the enemy. Tell that to your children. Tell it to your grandchildren. Tell it to people you work with. Tell it to somebody over lunch. You can beat this. But not without God's help. You can win not without seeing yourself as a winner. He's ultimately lost. The scripture tells it. He knows it. He's coming after us anyway because his time is limited. Uh, Let's not face this with naivety anymore. Can we not? Can we face spiritual warfare with the reality that he is a real person? The devil is a real person. He exists and he's coming after us, but God's given us every tool we need to win every battle against him. He's given us every tool we need Win every battle against him the thing is now what are we going to choose are we going to choose to arm ourselves and, and put ourselves against the enemy the way he says to do it or, or are we going to kind of hoe our own row here and say I'll just do the best I can and let God all sort it all out in the end that's not how he's designed for us to live he's designed for you and I to live in victory why because that victory is a great story that a person needs to hear out of your life say you know what that used to control me too and I've gained victory over it because of what God's done in my life I used to think that way too I used to live that way too. You know what? I don't anymore because of the victory that God's allowed me to have in my life over the enemy in that area. Now, the enemy doesn't leave me alone, but I beat him in that area. He's attacking me in another one now, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing battle there. I'm, I'm going to gain ultimate victory over him there too. You can win. People around your life and in your world needs to know you can win against the enemy. Your story is a powerful story to tell if, if it's in victory. And so choose to live that way. It's a choice we make every day. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.